Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team-by-team, division-by-division season previews with the Chicago Bears. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. We've already covered all the teams in the AFC. We've talked about all the teams in the NFC East. And the episode before this, we talked about the Minnesota Vikings. So we're continuing our NFC North division here. We're going to be dropping four team previews a week for those eight weeks, um, taking us up to the week before the NFL season kicks off Thursday, September 5th, with the Chicago Bears hosting or um, yeah, hosting the Green Bay Packers. So if this is your first time listening to us and you're just a Bears fan, every week during the regular season we have a Thursday preview show. We break down each matchup from a fantasy and betting perspective, and then on that following Tuesday – after we get a chance to watch the games, we'll do our recap show. I do all that with the one and only Mr. Parker. Really, Parks, how you doing, bud? Doing good, yeah. Um, if you don't know, I write for BearGogglesOn.com, so I'm going to be plugging a ton of stuff in this episode, but check that out because I usually there's usually a, a new post up there every single day um, from me. So uh, if you're interested in the Bears, definitely check out Bear Goggles On, and uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to this because um, you can only, you know, write so much, but this is going to be kind of more expanded thoughts, and it's a different tone because it's towards fantasy and gambling, whereas that's kind of just the daily news and everything like that. Yeah, and you can follow them on Twitter, and you can also follow uh, Parker, what is it, at Parker Hurley? So that's H-U-R-L-E-Y, but it'll be in the description of this anyways. Parks, let's get into the Bears here. Um, the Broncos ended up hiring their defense coordinator, Vic Fangio, as head coach. They ended up bringing in Chuck Pagano as D.C., who we remember from the Colts, their parks, and the AP named Matt Nagy. It's 2018 Coach of the Year. That's your offseason notes there, Parks. Um, do you have anything you want to add in terms of uh, – do you want to talk about Pagano replacing Fangio now, or do you want to wait for the defense? Yeah, we can wait for the defense. And um, I did want to just bring it up because I'm probably going to – Definitely listen to my Mitch Trubisky talk if you're a Bears fan, but um, I just want to bring up first off that I think the kicker thing is just getting ridiculous right right now. I really do, and like I get what Matt Nagy's doing with it, but um, he's basically at this point like everybody in Chicago is blaming the kicker for everything, and it, it really is just getting ridiculous. I mean, they scored 15 points at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, and they gave up multiple fourth downs on that final drive, and. I don't have any issue with that. That was a first-year head coach, a you know, somewhat of a rookie quarterback, um, everything like that. But what I wanted to hear from Matt Nagy this offseason was, um, you know, I played Benny Cunningham and Taquan Mizell too much, and I didn't get Cohen the football enough. You know, I, I'm going to take responsibility for that, and we're going to come back with, you know, a more innovative offense. And me and Trubisky are going a step further. You know, that's going to be our theme of this season. You know, that's our theme this year. We're going to rally around the fact that, that was a first-year, you know, mistake by me that I got cute against the Eagles. I'm not going to get cute again. Let's rally around that. Or my favorite one is the defense because everybody's saying that the defense is going to regress this season. And like you said, oh, Fangio's gone. Pagano's back. We're going to talk about that. But, oh, the defense was, you know, it was one of the top ten defenses really ever. And it was the best defense that didn't win a Super Bowl pretty much in the Super Bowl era. Um, if you do uh, adjusted net yards per attempt uh, based on opponent. So, one of the best defenses ever, but like I said, they didn't, on fourth down, multiple times, Nick Foles got them. And, you know, finish, like, the defense should say, like, we're going to finish what we started last season. We're going to show that we're not regressing, we're going to finish drives, we're going to get off the field, like, that's our rallying cry. Like, I was waiting for that to be a team's rallying cry. And then Matt Nagy comes out after the draft and he says, 
we're rallying around the fact that our kicker missed and we're not going to let it affect us. And I'm just like, come on, dude. Like, I get it. The kicker missed the kick. But, like, let's get over it. And now he's putting all this pressure on these other kickers, and they're getting torched in camp. They're Neither of them is doing very good right now. And, um... You know, Robbie Gold just signed with the 49ers and there was drama. This Kerry Vivek guy goes to the Minnesota Vikings and there's drama. I'm like, let's get over it, Bears fans. And like, let's say, okay, the kicker cost us the season. Let's say this season, we're not going to depend on the kicker to cost us the season. You know, let's point the finger at our... And I get it. Cody Park, you went on Good Morning America and you guys are so butthurt about it. <laughs> I like the Bears. And like I said, stay tuned to the Mitch Trubisky talk, but... Like, get over this kicker thing. And especially Matt Nagy. It disappoints me because I would like Matt Nagy to, like I said, rally around things that he can control internally. I want the defense to say, we're going to finish and be better. I want him to say, I'm going to get straight to it and not be cute. I don't want to hear this kicker stuff all the time. And he he helped contribute it to make it the narrative. And now it's such a narrative in Chicago, and I don't like it. But I figured since he gave me the chance, I'd talk about it. Yeah, Parks, how about you just score more touchdowns than you let up against the other team? That'll be a good starting point there, and then you don't have to worry about the kicker. If you mix an extra point, whatever. Right, and like I, I mean, like I said, and a lot of Bears fans, oh, well, he missed the kick against the Giants, and he missed the kick against the Dolphins, and we would have had a bye if it weren't for him. I get it. Like he, They didn't have a good kicker last year, but like I said, I think that there are other things within their control that you don't have to consistently blame the kicker for. And like I said, now you're putting all this pressure on the kicker, and you haven't had a kicker in like four or five years. Like, why are you doing this? Because you don't have a kicker. It's not like you resolved the issue yet. You know, you keep saying you're going to resolve the issue. You're being proactive about it. But you're talking as if, you know, it's a revenge tour to, you know, make up for the missed kick. And, you know, he compared it to, um, like, Virginia losing as a one seed and, you know, rallying around being the first one seed and then winning it the next year. And, like, I get the sentiment, but I wish it was a different sentiment. Yeah, Parks, we can get into the offense here. We'll start with, obviously, Mitchell Trubisky. Um Still on that rookie deal, Parks, that's the best thing to have in the NFL to build your team around a, a starting quarterback on his rookie deal. Um, how do you feel about Mitch coming into this year? You know, he's really – he didn't play a ton of games in college, so he's still, you know, fairly new to quarterback position, but took some strides last year. It should be even better after a full offseason with Nagy. How do you feel about him this year? Right. Mitch Trubisky, and I think everyone can agree, because nobody agrees on Mitch Trubisky. Not one single person agrees on Mitch Trubisky. But I think what we all can agree on is, um, you know, he's, he's a tough evaluation altogether. Because there are some moments, and it's, it seems like for him, the moments when he's just playing football and he's not necessarily thinking about it, like he's a freaking athlete. There's no doubt about it. And he has arm strength. A lot of people say he doesn't have accuracy, and I would disagree with that. I think that we're going to talk about it, but I think that he has good accuracy, especially deep down the football field. Um, and like I said, I think that there are situations when he's just playing football and he's just a football player, and that's what you know drew him to so many people, and you know why he became a guy who was so raw, didn't get the snaps, you know, was a running back in high school, and you know he plays like a running back sometimes. He's a talented running back, but. Um, there are reasons that this kid, you know, it, it people consistently r rally around him despite the fact that, um, as we're going to get into, and I mean no Bears fan can disagree, that he makes some passes that you just, you, your jaw drops and you're just like, why in the world? Or, you know, what in the world was he thinking with that? And this is what I'm going to go back to because um, everybody compares him to Blake Bortles. And I just think that's, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. I just don't see that comparison. And I saw, and I understand what you're saying, that the number one defense takes a small hit, this and that. It's a completely different situation. 
in terms of offensive personnel, like you said about Matt Nagy, um, it's a completely different situation. He's not Blake Bortles. Um, and like I said about his general accuracy, it's not Blake Bortles bad. Like he has a good throwing motion. My thing is, I don't. I think he needs to still build up some confidence in himself. And I think that comes down to he's a young dude, like a really young dude who, you know, like we keep saying, has been thrust into this a little bit earlier than anticipated. Um, needs to build up confidence in himself, but needs to build up confidence in him and Matt Nagy in the playbook. And Nagy, he definitely dumbed things down for Trubisky, but it's a tough offense. You know, it's an offense where you have he could throw to any one of these five players. You know, we don't run plays for specific players. We run plays for coverages, you know, and all five players could be a potential option on any given play. And Trubisky has to get up to the line, direct traffic, understand the play, and, you know, dissect it and everything. That's where Trubisky starts to struggle, in my opinion, whenever he just looks confused sometimes and he lacks confidence sometimes. And that's where all of a sudden it's almost like he's thinking about everything. So he's thinking about his mechanics and that's where all of a sudden he gets so much sloppier with really everything he does. And that's why I just think that sometimes he can just go out there and play and he's just so good. And there are other times when he's thinking through it and it's starting to, you know, everything's in his head and then that thing, it's like a golfer, you know, right in your backswing, something's in the back of your head. It's like, what about your feet? You know, and all of a sudden then he swings and it's like a shank. You know, it's one of those type of situations with him um, to where basically what I'm saying is that between his athleticism, his general accuracy and his arm strength, all he needs is that confidence in Nagy's scheme. He should be able to improve from year one to year two. Um, and you could argue as much as you want to say, oh, he's Blake Bortles. He doesn't have the accuracy. Um, he had that one year with the defense and now he's going to fall off just like Bortles. Um, the other, the, the one thing I have to say to that is Bortles had like serious fantasy seasons before he went to the AFC championship and that was by his fifth season. So this is Trubisky's, uh, you know, second season in offense, third season in the NFL. This is technically, if he's following the Bortles trajectory, this would actually be when he has his best season. And I know... Uh, it's, it would, comes with a ton of interceptions and a ton of losses, but in terms of fantasy, if you're co comparing him to Blake Bortles, then you're saying he's going to finish as a top five quarterback, and then next year he would get overdrafted. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, Blake Bortles was drafted as a top five quarterback just two years ago. That literally happened. <laughs> like Trubisky's being drafted as like the 15th quarterback. It's not the same thing. <laughs> so he would need to have a season like that to be on that trajectory. A trajectory you could compare is Jared Goff, in my opinion, because... Goff was in that West Coast offense in California, maybe had a little bit more experience. I think he has a more natural arm, but Trubisky, I think Trubisky's one more athletic, and I think Trubisky's better than Goff when it comes to, um, like I said, just naturally playing football. Like when the play breaks down and when something happens, he can make a play that I just don't, and I think it has to do with his athleticism, but I don't think Goff can. So you look at Goff's first season, you know, just awful with Jeff Fisher. Um, you know, the old coach held him on the bench a little too long. He gets out there. He's not experienced. He's terrible because the offense is archaic. Same thing with Trubisky, right? Here comes Sean McVay. Here comes Matt Nagy. We make the playoffs. <laughs> we lose in the first round to a team that just made the Super Bowl the year before, right? The Rams lost to the Falcons, who just made the Super Bowl the year before. The Bears lost to the Eagles, who just made a Super Bowl the year before. So, I mean, all of a sudden you're saying... They should take a step forward similar to, you know, Jared Goff actually kind of plateaued more than he took a step forward last season. But if Trubisky plateaus, he's a top 10 quarterback in fantasy football and he's being drafted as the 15th quarterback in fantasy football. Go back through the first, I think it's nine weeks of his season 
and Trubisky was a top five quarterback in fantasy football. I'm not joking. He, like I said, he's about a running back. So, and he's got Matt Nagy. He's a top five fantasy quarterback through about nine weeks. Then they play the Rams, and or no, then they play the Vikings, and he gets hurt against the Vikings. And um, they play the Rams the next week, and he throws like three picks, and he's terrible. And then from that point forward, um, Matt Nagy really, really. He hurt it. I think it was his his shin. Some something in his leg. He hurt. So Mitch Trubisky, you know this running back who can throw like crazy and just be a gamer, um, is not a running back anymore. Right? We're keeping him in the pocket. Matt Nagy dumbs down the playbook. They were what like eight and two at that point. And he's saying, you know, how can we just you know ride this thing out with our you know limpy quarterback and everything like that? And I I want to say that because Warren Sharp wrote an article, um, saying how. You know, as the game started to get more tense, Matt Nagy was afraid of letting Mitch Trubisky let it rip. And I'm saying, you aren't factoring in the fact that he was injured. Like, look at his rushing stats, and then you could understand the play calling. It matches with the rushing because he can't run, so the play calling had to change because of his mobility. So that's where I don't look into the end of his season nearly as much. What I do look into, and this is where I do buy on Mitch Trubisky, and it's, I mean, it's kind of like picking and choosing, but... The fact of the matter is, he struggled in the first half of that playoff game, um, and it seemed like the moment was too big for him. I Matt Nagy got way too cute in that playoff game. I love Matt Nagy. Coach of the year, 100% easily. I think he's an extremely honest head coach. I think I, I love listening to his press conferences. He got way too cute against the Eagles. And did it have to do with my quarterback is in his mobile? Maybe. I think he just got way too cute. You know, Doug Peterson, first playoff game, um, everything like that. You know, hey, it's... It's tough. You know, like I said, Sean McVay has taken his wounds in the playoffs. You know, Nagy's going to take his wounds, but um, got way too cute. But in the second half, he let it rip with Mitch Trubisky. He said, you know what? We're losing. We got to go down and do this thing. And um, him and Mitch Trubisky let it rip. And Mitch Trubisky was electric in the second half. And like I said about the kicker, Mitch Trubisky got them from the 20-yard line to they were in field goal range. You know, that's that's all Tom Brady needed to do. Um, and, you know, the kick goes in. But nonetheless, I thought that that last drive that he had against the Eagles when they were losing by two points, and that's what I keep, I keep just, it's like hard to get that last drive out of your head because he was so electric on that drive. And you could just see he was just playing. He was just playing football. He was just letting it rip, doing his thing. And him and Allen Robinson established something that we're going to talk about. But when he can just play and just let it go, and when he feels comfortable with where he is in the situation, he can, he's talented. Like I said, he's a top five fantasy quarterback at times. So um, is it going to be like that all the time? No. But when was it like that against the Eagles when we're down by two in the two-minute drill of the fourth quarter? Like, I'm sorry if that's picking and choosing, but to, for him to play like he did in those moments, it's hard to get those moments out of your mind sometimes when you're thinking about Trubisky. And like I said, when, when the debate is – is he going to be like Jared Goff and maybe plateau a little bit, but maybe improve a little bit in some areas? Um, or is he going to be Blake Bortles and fall off a train? I lean much more towards Jared Goff based off of what I've seen. And like I said, I actually like his ability to work out of structure more than Jared Goff. So, I mean, I, I like Mitch Trubisky. And like I, I've said it in fantasy, um, I'll take him every time at his average draft cost. I mean, not every time because Dak Prescott and Lamar Jackson go around the same area. But um, I've said in another podcast, if you can get two of those three, you're going to be fine because they all get rushing. They all are in offenses that get the ball out of their hands quickly and have multiple skill players who could play. And all of them go outside of the top 12 quarterbacks. So, I mean, wait, build up your team, get one of these guys. If you play the weeks right, and like I said, I mean, 
if you play Trubisky in the right matchups, you had just an elite quarterback in fantasy football last season. And we're going to get into this offense, and I keep saying, you know, the Jaguars made stupid personnel decisions. They had a non-offensive head coach. They're about to fall apart, and we talked about it. Like, because they weren't built the way that the Bears are. So it's hard for me to get on board with the, oh, they had the great defense, they're going to fall off just like the Jaguars. And that's where I go back to, I bet on Mitch Trubisky. Um, If Mitch Trubisky gets hurt, the Bears are completely done. Because Chase Daniel is, if you think Mitch Trubisky is like the worst quarterback in the NFL, go watch Thanksgiving Day, Detroit, Chicago, and watch the next week against the New York Giants. And then tell me Mitch Trubisky's the worst quarterback because Chase Daniel's so much worse. So that's, that's all you got to hear because if Trubisky gets hurt, they're screwed. And really their whole season comes down to Trubisky. If he takes that step forward, they're right back in the playoffs. If he doesn't, then their, their defense is going to regress just based on the fact that their offense isn't moving the ball in the same light. So everyone has to have a take on Trubisky. And everyone is either he's the greatest of all time or he's the worst quarterback I've ever seen. And there's no in between. And he's just like, sorry, guys, he's in between. So, um, you know, half the country overrates him, half the country underrates him. I, te- I tend to lean more towards, I guess, I overrate him. But, I, I, you know, like I said, it's just I've watched every single snap. And for some reason, I buy him more than I sell him. So, you know, we'll see if I'm wrong. Because, like I said, he's so tough to um, evaluate because it's all in his head. Yeah, Parks, and like you said, um, Trubisky isn't Blake Bortles, and um, Matt Nagy certainly isn't Doug Marone. So we can move on to the running backs here, Parks. Um, Jordan Howard goes to the Eagles for a 2026-round pick. They agreed to terms with Mike Davis from the Seahawks on a two-year, $6 million contract. Um, They traded up with the Patriots to select Iowa State running back David Montgomery at 73, and they also took Florida Atlantic running back Gareth White at 222 parks how do you feel about this group also factoring in cohen and take on my jail yeah it's i mean it's an interesting group altogether and it's pretty much completely revamped and what they're thinking with the combination of mike davis and montgomery is that they lost about 250 carries from jordan howard um you know they're just going to insert those two into those carries and maybe even add a little bit more passing to the running backs And um, I've talked about it on other podcasts. You know, Howard's issue is that he could never catch the football out of the backfield. And when he was on the field, teams would start creeping up into the box because it was kind of an obvious tell that he was going to run the football. I'm pretty sure Howard's agent caught wind that um, I think they were trying to trade him to Miami for like Albert Wilson um, or something along those lines. Nonetheless, I think that he caught wind. That, um, you know, he was, Matt Nagy immediately accepted a head coaching job and like his first thing, he was trying to trade Jordan Howard. And then, um, you know, he, Howard fumbled a couple times on the goal line. He really just never progressed as a pass catcher. And, um, you know, that's, that's the end of, you know, Jordan Howard in that regard. So the thing that I noted with Mike Davis is that he actually had a hundred, like 120, 140 carries for the Seahawks last season. And was efficient in the regards of, as a third down back, he caught passes and moved the chains. And near the goal line, he was really efficient. So I think that he's going to get some goal line work. And I think that he's going to get mixed in. But um, I really think that they like David Montgomery a lot right now. And um, I've talked about it. I have a ton of articles writing about how I just felt like there were four running backs that could potentially get 200 carries or, you know, could potentially be impact players. Um, There's Josh Jacobs, there's Daryl Henderson, there's Miles Sanders, and then David Montgomery really closes out a tier. And I talked about that because um, those three running backs ahead of Montgomery went ahead of Montgomery. And once those three went, 
the Bears immediately traded up and took David Montgomery because they knew that there was a tier after that. You know, there was like a drop-off after that. And they knew that because they traded Jordan Howard and they were only, you know, as much as you want to say Mike Davis is efficient, Mike Davis can catch the football. You know, is Mike Davis going to get 250 carries? Um, you don't want to go into a season thinking about that potentially. So they went up and they got their guy Kareem Hunt. Um, potentially, you know, how much they like him. It seems like they like him a lot because um, everyone compares David Montgomery to Kareem Hunt. Um because of, I mean, a lot of things. Uh, the Toledo running backs coach when Kareem Hunt was there went to Iowa State and was the running backs coach when he was there. Matt Nagy drafted Kareem Hunt in the third round with the Chiefs, drafted David Montgomery in the third round with the Chiefs. And uh, Matt Nagy has himself said it like three or four times comparing the two. So, um, you know, he he likes Kareem Hunt, but he's also said that in Kareem Hunt's rookie season when he broke out, he was behind Spencer Ware before Spencer Ware tore his PCL. And Mike Davis could, you know, very similar to Spencer Ware in terms of goal line, pass catching on third down. So that's where, um, you know, everyone's freaking out. And this is before the Bears' second preseason game. But everyone's freaking out about his first preseason game, David Montgomery, because he caught a dump pass, turned it up 20 yards. Um, and, you know, Bears fans, oh, that's Jordan Howard could never, you know. And everyone's getting excited about that. And he did show good vision and a nice little cut on a touchdown run. And I mean, we know, like, we know David Montgomery has good vision. That's who he's been. Um, it's just I don't think he's gonna, you know, that doesn't like do anything for me, or that like does that does things for other people. But like, that's just establishing things that I've known. So um, I don't move him on my boards or anything. And I've I have him right next to Josh Jacobs because um, I think they're gonna get similar touches, and I think David Montgomery's safer than Josh Jacobs. This season, Josh Jacobs has a little bit more, um, I think he'll catch potentially a little bit more passes, and he has, they're more committed to getting Josh Jacobs volume, but Jacobs a lot more volatile than Montgomery, who I think is going to consistently, maybe he's not going to get 25 carries every single game because Cohen's going to get some, Davis is going to get some, but I do think he's going to get 15 to 20 every single game, and they're going to be pretty highly efficient because as we're going to get into this offense, what Nagy's going to do is spread a lot of things out, He's going to have, he has all these playmakers now. They went, you know, heavy on playmaker in the offseason. And he's going to try and put Trubisky in really comfortable, easy situations where Trubisky's kind of just point guarding the thing. So um, I do like Montgomery, but I, you know, like I said, I like him in like that fourth round range around where Josh Jacobs goes. Um, pretty much like right after, he's like, it's like him, Josh Jacobs, even James White is uh, in like a tier for me. Um, and then Mike Davis, you know, you could take him super late because there is a baseline of, um, you know, he could get a few points in terms of he'll get 10 carries or 10 touches a week. I would kind of think he might get something close to that. But um, if Montgomery goes down, then he really does have to shoot into a 250 carry uh, um, type of, you know, situation. So Davis could be, you know, found money late in drafts. But then there's Tarek Cohen. Tarek Cohen is, you know, basically not a running back like these guys are, you know, I don't really have to explain what Cohen is, but the Bears big issue last year was there were times where they just, they couldn't get Cohen the ball. Like they couldn't scheme him the football teams were eyeing in on Tarek Cohen. So this is where Matt Nagy wanted to get a guy like David Montgomery. So we could throw the ball to Montgomery that takes away from, you know, all the people eyeing in on, we're not throwing it to Cohen. All of a sudden Cohen has you know, less eyes on him, and he takes one to the house. Cohen is a player where um, he's tough to draft in fantasy, especially if it's not in best ball, because um, it's truly unpredictable when he's gonna when he's gonna you know get the football. Because 
it's not matchup specific. It's not game plan specific. It's just he could literally break any run. It's just, you know, any run, he could just break it to the house in any instant. It's just whether or not he's going to do it, you know. Is it going to be on this run? I have no idea. Is it going to be the next one? I mean, is he going to juke that guy out of his shoes? He's going to try for it. You know, so there's going to be some games where he has, you know, five carries for 15 yards and five receptions for 25 yards. And you're like, why the hell did I start him? And he's going to have five receptions for 140 and a touchdown and, you know, seven carries for 80 and a touchdown. And you're like, man, you know, that was the best pick in the entire fantasy draft. So, um, and like I said, it's so hard that, and he goes, he goes too high now, um, in my opinion, Cohen, that it's just hard to justify taking him in fantasy football. Um, maybe you could pick your spots in DFS if you say, well, this game's going to be a shootout, you know, a situation like that, but it's hard to take him. Um, the other thing that, um, I really want to bring up and it's kind of going to transition us into receiver, but it also brings it into, you know, Cohen. And I've talked about it on a lot of these podcasts that, um, you know, motion, matchup identifying, um, using things like that to have defenses reveal themselves. Um, that's really, you know, I wouldn't say Andy Reid brought it, but Andy Reid has, you know, has been like one of the forefront people. And then Doug Peterson is one of his disciples who took it to Philadelphia and, you know, won a Super Bowl with this RPO offense and everyone's freaking out about RPOs. And now Matt Nagy is coming in. And, uh, you know, Matt Nagy, I think, is just going to be the king of um, just jet sweep motion. And I know that the Rams are the Rams do did it a ton last season, and uh, we're going to talk about they're going to do it more this season. Um, and I've talked about it with Lamar Jackson and his offense, the jet sweep. I mean, I talk about it with a lot of teams that if you have a jet sweep player, it freezes the linebackers because you're going to have um, you know Montgomery's going to be next to Trubisky in in a, as a sidecar. You're going to have um, a tight end like Trey Burton who could motion and move over the middle of the field. And then you're going to have your jet sweep player who, you know, it can be Cohen, but you can also put Cohen out wide. You can put Cohen into the slot. You can do things with Cohen. So all of a sudden they drafted Cordero Patterson and nobody cares about it but me, but I've written a lot about Cordero and I've, Matt Nagy's talked about Cordero Patterson in the ways that I would think that Matt Nagy would talk about Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson is just a running back. At this point, like he's never ran routes in his entire career and he's an elite kick returner and he's amazing with the ball in his hands. Like he's a running back. So Matt Nagy's, I think he's going to use him as a running back. He called him a Trojan is what his position is um, technically because he's really, he's not a receiver. He's not a running back. He's a Trojan. That's what Matt Nagy's calling him this season. And what that's going to do is, like I said, he can be that jet sweep guy to where, okay, now you know, Patterson's on the outside, Cohen's in the slot. Um, one of them can motion, then the next guy can motion. And now all of a sudden, because um, the big thing Bill Belichick was doing in the Super Bowl was, you know, Sean McVay's offense was innovative, but it was gimmicky in some regards. We're going to talk about Sean McVay, but nonetheless, it was gimmicky some ways. And Bill Belichick said, if you don't buy into his gimmicks and you just play him straight up, you can beat him. So he, he basically, all the gimmicks make you reveal yourself, right? Bill Belichick didn't reveal himself. And he learned it from Patricia, who learned it from Vic Fangio. And, like, you know, it goes down the line. A couple of teams helped figure out the Rams. It was like a, a guiding path for Bill Belichick to do it. But um, basically what I'm saying is Matt Nagy wants to have so much motion and so much versatility that you have to reveal yourselves. So um, it's going to be, you know, because I've talked about it on other podcasts, I think defense is going to come back this year because teams are going to be more vocal. They're going to disguise more things. They're going to show zone and play man. They're going to pattern match a lot more. It's going to be difficult. Um, defense is going to come back. But I think that Cordero Patterson 
is a player because, um, like I said, whether it be Montgomery, Cohen, Patterson, all of them can motion into the running back spot and take handoffs. All of them could be jet sweep. All of them could catch dump offs. All of them could catch screens. And they can be on the field at the same time because if you have Cordero Patterson and Tarek Cohen on the outside and they're running goes, that's, those are like two, four, three players running goes on the outside. You know, um, Maybe they will struggle to beat press and everything like that, but that's the versatility. And that's what I... I actually sometimes take Cordell Patterson in like the 20th round of drafts because I really think that they're going to use him. And I mean, he's going to be used. He's obviously a kick returner nonetheless, but I think they're going to use him as a running back. And I think that they're going to use his running back ability to make Cohen a receiver. And it's just, it's going to be a lot of versatility and mismatches and uh, hopefully making things easier for Trubisky. So nobody's talking about Patterson, but I think he's a sleeper in fantasy that is going to make the most of his touches and he's going to make things easy for Trubisky, which is why I do go back to, um, and I mean, we just talked about the running backs and there's what, four players that Trubisky could throw the football to um, between Patterson, Davis, Montgomery, um, and uh, Tarek Cohen. Like that's, that's a lot of players that Trubisky is going to be throwing the ball to. And I think they drafted Kareth White because he is the Cordero Patterson backup. Like he'll play the Trojan role. Um, if they need somebody to, because it, it really is like, it's a, it's a receiver slash running back and Cohen is, you know, he, his own position too. And um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of options in this offense. Yeah. Parks looking at those wide receivers, like you said, um, we touched on Cordell Patterson came over from the Patriots two year, $10 million deal. Um, in 2018, the bears were dead last and kickoff return average. So he should help there end up selecting Riley Ridley at 126. Um, and Kevin White is off to the Cardinals, their number seven overall pick from 2015. Battled a lot of injuries there, Parks. But um, with the rest of the receiver group, Parks, how do you feel about it? Right. It seems like for the most part, Ridley will be a little bit on, you know, a red shirt. You kind of bring him in along slowly. Um, I think in the red zone a little bit because of his size. And um, he's got long arms and everything like that. Um, this is where I go back to Matt Nagy's just going to be pulling strings and, you know, picking and choosing his situations and picking and choosing based off of what the defense does to put in the right personnel. Um, Riley Ridley's one of those players, but for the most part, and uh, Javon Wims is another one who's, uh, I think he'll get more snaps than Riley Ridley, actually, and I think he'll get more goal line than Riley Ridley, too. So that's where I think, you know, it's kind of a, a redshirt year for Ridley, and I would look to Wims, um, but both of them, could be goal line players to where, you know, you could do a lot of, this offense is just so diverse and it goes back to, like I said, you have a, you know, a running back playing receiver and a receiver playing running back, um, all kinds of stuff. But the main three in this offense are Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller. Um, Allen Robinson, like I said, that drive with Mitch Trubisky against the Philadelphia Eagles, it's so hard to watch that drive and not just say that you know, these two are going to slowly take off here next season, potentially. And, you know, everyone goes back to the Bortles comparison with, um, you know, Allen Robinson. But Allen Robinson, in his second season in the NFL, made Blake Bortles because he had, you know, 1,400 yards receiving with him. And then he tore his ACL. And last season, he was in a new offense, coming back from an ACL. And like I said about Mitch, Mitch was so hit and miss last season because he was developing confidence in a new offense, his third offense in as many seasons. So you combine all that together, Allen Robinson was super hit and miss last season. Um, by the end of the season, 
Mitch Trubisky was Allen Robinson was the go-to. You know, Allen Robinson was my playmaker. Uh, Allen Robinson against the Philadelphia Eagles. What was it? Eleven receptions, hundred forty yards. Um, you know, just completely dominated the Eagles because, like I said, when Mitch will just play football and he's not thinking about it, he's electric and he's going to Allen Robinson because Allen Robinson is his guy. And Robinson's twenty-six years old, has a year removed from the ACL. He's fully embedded in the offense. Trubisky's fully embedded in the offense. Robinson had injury questions last season. Trubisky had injury questions last season. The fact that they were able to have that connection in the Eagles game, I can't avoid it, and I keep going back to, um, I'll take him in like the fifth round, pretty much like it's found money, you know. I'll take him over a guy like Alshon uh, Jeffrey, take him over a guy like Mike Williams. Um, I just think that, you know, those offenses are going to distribute, I mean, they're all going to distribute the football, but I really think that, Allen Robinson is this offense's go-to guy. And if there's a guy who just demands targets, it's going to be Allen Robinson, in my opinion. So Robinson will take over that X role on the outside. And I think, like I said, I think he's a completely fine fantasy bet. Taylor Gabriel will play the Z because he's just going to be a space clear. And I just don't look to him at all in fantasy because I think, you know, they're, they're trying to replace him next season. Because if you look at, uh, he's got 6.5 in 2020. Uh, 7.5 in 2021. They they can both come off the books rather easily, and the Bears are in uh they're in a tough spot cap wise here coming up because uh Mitch is coming up and they just gave Khalil Mack a ton of freaking money and uh, they already uh what's it called restructured his deal so they're gonna be up against it next year and they're gonna probably cut Taylor Gabriel next year and you know that because they first they signed Marvin Hall who Marvin Hall replaced Taylor Gabriel on the Falcons. Um, not too long ago. So I think they want to keep Marvin Hall along. If Gabriel gets hurt, Marvin Hall steps in because he's just a short speedster, just like uh, Gabriel. Um, so I think Hall is Gabriel insurance. They drafted Emmanuel Hall, who didn't work out, but or they didn't draft him. He was a UDFA, but he can't stay healthy. Um, but nonetheless, what they did was they added two speed players because they're going to you know eventually move on from Gabriel. Um, does that affect him this year? No, not really, but... Um, I've already talked about, we're making things easy for Trubisky. We're getting the ball out of Trubisky's hands. Trubisky's going to Robinson, his main guy. And then he's got Cohen, Patterson, Montgomery, Davis. You know, this is all short, quick passing. Gabriel is the deep field player. And every once in a while, Gabriel's going to have a 76-yard touchdown. And, you know, hey, <laughs> that's fine. It's not going to be on my fantasy team or anything because it's going to be like five games a year where he has it. And it's not going to be, you know... All he does is Mitch needs to take shots for Gabriel to keep defenses honest, to let all this motioning and all this, you know, all this stuff that I keep talking about to make all of that work. You need Gabriel to, you know, just, you need Mitch to take a few shots at Gabriel. And like I said, he's going to be one for four throwing to Gabriel every single week or, you know, every once in a while. And yeah, that, that one might be a big one, but either way, I don't like Gabriel in fantasy. I do. I don't mind Anthony Miller in fantasy. Um, He's going to live in the slot. Um, a lot of people compare him to Antonio Brown. I just, like, calm down with that, you know. Let's just, the thing about Anthony Miller is um, he was 23 years old when he was in college, so he's 24 years old now. And um, Antonio Brown had three 1,000-yard seasons by the time he was 24 years old. So, like, Anthony Miller's a little bit behind the Antonio Brown trajectory at this point, guys. Like, he's in the prime of his career right now. Um, and that's good for the Bears because they're in this win-now mode. And, like, I get it. Anthony Miller is, um, he's a good route runner, and he's, like, tough. <laughs> so, like, you want to pretend that he's Antonio Brown, that's great and all. But, I mean, I would say he's more of, like, um, and this people are going to get so pissed. But it's like Albert Wilson, except, like, healthier. 
and Albert Wilson is good. So like whatever you want to say about Albert Wilson, um, he's good. Uh, and that's what I was saying that I think Nagy was trying to trade for Albert Wilson. And then, um, because, because he had Albert Wilson on the chiefs. This is why, you know, um, he had Albert Wilson on the chiefs. He wanted to bring Albert Wilson to the bears when he couldn't, they traded for Anthony Miller. They traded a future draft pick for him. And I think that they traded that future draft pick thinking that they're going to get a future draft pick for Jordan Howard. And then Howard had a terrible season. And basically they moved down like three rounds to get, uh, Anthony Miller is kind of, I mean, kind of how you would shape it, but Nonetheless, I think he's in that he they want him to be in the Albert Wilson role. And if you watch his video from Memphis, um his his production on screens was like really freaking good. He was unbelievable on screens and he was unbelievable catching the football behind the line of scrimmage and working after the catch. So um that's where I go back to. I think that he's a screen player. You know, you got Cohen and Cordero Patterson are jet sweep players. He's a screen player. Um Allen Robinson's the guy that I'm peppering with targets over the middle of the field. Like, there's a lot of quick passing and open receivers in this offense, right? There's a lot of people drawing your attention away from different things in every which direction. Um, so that's where, you know, it's it's a free-flowing offense. Miller's going to get his. Miller had, like, serious shoulder injuries last season, but still had, uh, like, 700 yards and seven touchdowns. And, you know, you would assume that, you know, it was like a serious shoulder injury. Like, his shoulder was, like, falling off. <laughs> and he was playing through it because he's a tough dude. And that's where, like I said, everyone wants to say he's A-B because he's tough. But he's definitely tough. But he's a player who's going to get a lot of his yards on screens. And um, it's, a, it's a great fit for this offense. And he's going to live in the slot. But that's where I don't love him in fantasy because um, I don't think there's, like, super big plays. I think he's going to be reliable for, like, you know, six catches, 70 yards. You know, you'll take that all day. I just, you know, sometimes I shoot for the upside a little bit more than a guy like him. So, um, but nonetheless, they all have their roles, you know. Gabriel clearing space, Robinson soaking targets, Miller in the screen game, um, Ridley and Wimser, uh, you know, the goal line players, Patterson, jet sweep, Cohen, you motion into the slot, Montgomery catches the checkdowns. You know, it's a free-flowing offense to where Mitch is going to get the ball out of his hands. If he's playing with confidence, it should be more accurate than some people are thinking. That's where I'm not selling the offense as a whole the way some people are. I think that, you know, nobody necessarily shines above or, you know, Allen Robinson is potentially the star of the offense or, you know, like I said, some people want Miller to be the star, but it's kind of just, they're all just going to do just enough to keep this offense relevant. And that's where I go back to Mitch Trubisky. It's like stealing in fantasy as late as he is. I mean, yeah, there's the downside of, you know, the picks and everything. It doesn't kill you in fantasy the way it does in real life. Um, that late with all these weapons, it's hard to pass up. Yeah, Parkson, looking at the tight ends, um, they ended up signing Utah State tight end. Uh, Dax Raymond is UDFA. Trey Burton's still here. Adam Shaheen. How do you feel about this tight end group? Yeah, last year I I really liked taking Trey Burton. Um in like the middle rounds, right after George Kittle uh, was gone, you'd take Trey Burton and you'd feel really good, you know, thinking that one of those two would blow up. And it turned out, you know, Kittle was the big blow up. Burton was the, he was good, you know, he was serviceable. I think he was a top 10 tight end. And, you know, we were taking those guys like 13th, 14th last season. So we were still getting value. It obviously wasn't the boom that George Kittle was. But what you start to realize with Trey Burton over the course of the season, um, and I mean, the big thing was, they didn't want to use him nearly as much as they used him last season. You know, 
they used him way too much to be completely honest. And he's he's not a physical player. Um, I know it's crazy to say for a tight end, but he's the definition of a move tight end, a U tight end. Another player who you know helps you match up, identify. He can motion into the slot. He can motion into the fullback. He can catch passes in the flats on play action as a you know a fullback and everything like that. And then he really, where he's best at is just kind of sitting in zone. Like he's like, oh, I'm going to find five yards. I'm going to find five yards of space. I'm just going to sit here and I'm just going to wait for Mitch to find me. And, um, you know, sometimes he doesn't, but sometimes he does find him. But nonetheless, what you realized with him was they used him way too much, especially in terms of like their gimmicky offense. Um, and like I said, it kind of goes back to, I think Patterson's going to take away from Burton a little bit. I think that, um, you know, a guy like Kareth White, if he could get on the field, might take away. Even a guy like Miller might take away from Burton a little bit because they just didn't have, like, these players. And like I said, against the Eagles, they were using um, Benny Cunningham and Taekwon Mizell because they want to use all this motion and they want to have three running backs on the field. It's just, you know, when your three running backs are David Montgomery, Cordero Patterson, and Tarek Cohen, that's a lot of athleticism. When it's um, Jordan Howard, Tarek Cohen, and, you know, Taekwon Mizell, you know, Mizell and Howard just don't do it for you, you know? So that's where um, he's going to be so much more versatile. And there's this play, like, on third and two every single time. <laughs> Not every single time, but Nagy would run this little flip play. You know, uh, Burton would line up in the slot. He would come across the line of scrimmage. Um, Trubisky would run play action to his running back, and then he would flick it to Burton, who's like standing in front of the center and he would kind of dive in front of the center and pick up like two yards. And it's, you know, because sometimes they weren't trusting Jordan Howard in these short yardage situations. But um, I really think that those started to wear down on Trey Burton and they were going to it a little bit too much. And that's where the Eagles said they stuck Malcolm Jenkins on Tarek Cohen and said, because Burton was out with an injury, they said, there's nobody on your team that can beat us. You know, um, that, it took them, like I said, it took them about a whole half to figure it out. And it really, because they, you know, they didn't let Trubisky open it up because um, everything I talked about. But what you realize with Burton is that, you know, he was in too, too big of a role. They want him to be in that very specific minimized role of he's a move tight end. So they really need Adam Shaheen to step up, who's been hurt um, for his entire career. Former basketball player. Um, hard to say, you know, because he just can't get on the field. But if he could get on the field, he would free up Burton to be exactly what they want Burton to be. They've also moved Bradley Sowell, who was a tackle, who caught a few touchdowns because, like I keep saying, Matt Nagy was like looking for people to be versatile and to like switch things up because Howard was just so, you know, and Cunningham and all these guys, like none of them were versatile enough for um, Matt Nagy that he had a guy like Bradley Sowell catching touchdowns um, because he wanted to give the impression of run and then throw off of it. Um, that's what, you know, when Patterson's on the field and Cohen's on the field in Montgomery, like we can run, we can throw, you know, when Bradley Sowell's on the field, we're running the football. Oh, here's a little blue pass to Bradley Sowell. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, the Bears said, Hey, if Bradley Sowell loses 20 pounds this off season, we'll give him a roster spot as a tight end. And Sowell showed up 20 pounds underweight and they're going to use him. Um, so basically Sowell's the blocker. Adam Shaheen will go over the middle of the field and be the red zone player. And then Trey Burton's the U tight end. That's where I don't like Trey Burton this year nearly as much as I liked him last year because, um, like I said, first off, he was getting underdrafted and he was value at where he was getting drafted. Now he's getting, um, he's actually kind of in the right spot, but he had groin surgery and I don't think they're going to use him nearly as much. And I think that Patterson and guys like that are going to cut into those gimmicky plays that were kind of just found gold for Burton 
So um, I don't look to Burton nearly as much as I did. And they also, um, Ben Broniker could play the move. Um, Dax Raymond they brought in is kind of a move player because they're worried about Burton, you know, taking excessive hits. So they're not going to get, you know, Burton's not a player that you feature an offense around. You know, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery are guys that you might feature an offense around. He's, you know, Trey Burton is kind of, like I keep saying, like a gimmicky type of situation. Um, Ian Bunting, at least worth keeping an eye on because, uh, like I said, it's before the second preseason game and he's the wide tight end who would be Adam Shaheen's replacement. So, I mean, if Shaheen doesn't, Maybe Ian Bunting can. He's 6'7", 250. But, I mean, that's, you know, we'll see about that. Yeah, Parks, I round out the offense here, looking at the offensive line. Um, Bobby Massey gets re-signed four-year contract. Um, it was worth a little more than $8 million per year. Whenever he signed it, Massey was one of the five highest-paid right tackles in the NFL. They signed Ted Larson from the Dolphins and TJ Clemens from the Raiders. And also the UDFA signed uh, Joe Lowry. How do you feel about this offensive line here? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they, they're just bringing it back from last season, and that should be a good thing. Um, Leno is super underrated. He's a great value at his cost at left tackle. And then, um, you know, kind of working left to right, you have Cody Whitehair was the starting center last season. And Cody Whitehair is one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. He really is. Um, his biggest issue, truly, is that he just couldn't snap the football. Like, he was a... Uh, a tackle in a guard at Kansas State, and they had him playing center because they just needed somebody to snap the football. Um, and he, you know, that was his biggest issue was him and Mitch had snapping issues. So they're going to move him to guard. And I just keep writing that um, as good as offensive continuity is, moving Cody Whitehair to guard is an upgrade on their offensive line and like potentially a big one. I really do think so because of their ability to move him in space. Um, they're moving him to uh, guard because James Daniel. James Daniels was a center um, his entire career at Iowa and never played guard, but um, some teams like to put um, their starting center, especially a guy like James Daniels, because his biggest thing was he needed to add some functional strength. So um, they put him at guard to start his career because, you know, center's kind of a lot for a rookie, especially a rookie who might be getting overpowered off of the football. So Daniels actually spent four weeks on the bench and then started at guard. They built up his strength, and now they're you know putting more on his plate in year two, sliding him over to guard. So you could say that there's some shakeup on the offensive line. I actually think that Daniels is in his natural position. It'll be better. Whitehair is in his natural position. It'll be better. Leno, underrated left tackle. Um, Bobby Massey at right tackle, I mean, I could give or take. Um, my thing with Massey, I mean, he was on the offensive line, and for continuity's sake, and for the fact that they don't have resources because they traded everything for Khalil Mack in cap space because they're paying Khalil Mack so much. Um, because they don't have resources to upgrade over Bobby Massey, I'm fine with Bobby Massey. My fear is Kyle Long at right guard. Um, last three years, he's played eight, eight, and eight games. If you don't know, eight is not 16. It's half of 16. Uh, he plays half of a season every year for the last three years. He can't stay healthy. And it's always something else. Um, and, you know, it's it's shoulders it's it's sometimes it's freak injuries. Um, he just can't stay healthy, and he actually gave some guaranteed money back to the Chicago Bears to restructure his contract because he hasn't lived up to it the last three seasons, and he was kind of overpaid the last three seasons. And I think he knows what the window is for this uh, Super Bowl team. And you know, he's a guy who just last or he didn't play in the playoff or he did he did come back for the playoff game. Um, he he was injured last year, uh, missed the final eight games of the season. Came back for the playoff game. It was his only playoff game. He lost to his brother Chris Long, but um, 
he felt that experience and you know like i said he'll restructure his contract and he wants this might be it for kyle long they could cut him next year and save nine million dollars and like i said they're going to be up against it so this might be it for kyle long um it's just is he going to stay healthy is he going to you know be able to you know help them in the playoffs everything like that you know can they bubble wrap him until the playoffs you know do they need him to get to the playoffs um especially because my fear with the bears is um, I don't think they have any offensive line depth really to speak of. Um, I'm really afraid, you know, if Kyle Long misses eight games like he does each of the last three seasons, they have nothing right now. And um, I've written about it. And I've talked about it with the Cleveland Browns. Um, the Browns have a competition between Eric Cush and Brian Witzman, uh, you know, for their starting guard. And, you know, Bears fans and me are just saying, you know, good luck with that because that was easily the biggest weakness on the Bears roster last season was those were their starting guards, both of them. And now, you know, now they're competing with the Browns. And um, now they're both gone. They brought in Ted Larson. I mean, is Ted Larson better than Eric Cush and Brian Witzman? It's a wash. But nonetheless, you know, the Browns don't want to be starting Eric Cush and Brian Witzman. The Bears don't want to be starting Ted Larson. Fortunately for the Bears, they have Kyle Long. It's just, you know, and I, I like I said, I write for Bear Goggles On, and I write about it all the time, and everyone in the comments is like, shut up about the offensive line depth. <laughs> like, you guys never know. It could be an issue. Um, Alex Bars is the player that, um, because, you know, one of the things I was saying was that you didn't necessarily need Riley Ridley. Um, you could have drafted a guard in that spot. But, I mean, one of the highest-rated guards was probably Alex Bars, who was a UDFA. He tore his ACL. He would have been drafted had he not torn his ACL. Um, but he's from Notre Dame. Who um, Harry Highstand is the Bears' offensive line coach, and he produced pro players at Notre Dame like it was nobody's business. I mean, every good offensive lineman from Notre Dame in the past like five to ten years um, could at least be somewhat attributed to Highstand, who is now the Bears' offensive line coach, and he helped recruit Bars as a UDFA. Um, you know, I think that because he, you know, if he if, if he got drafted or whatever, but. Um, Hopefully, Boris can be back and hopefully, you know, reunited with his coach. Um, when they had, it was like McGlinchey, uh, Nelson, and Bars. When Notre Dame had that offensive line, you know, they were, what, in the playoffs or whatever. And, uh, you know, so now they're just trying to kind of get back to, or they're trying to get Bars back to that level where, you know, maybe he's not McGlinchey or Nelson, you know, top 10 picks, but he was capable on that line. And he, I think he's the long-term plan. I mean, they're obviously going to go into the offseason with something for long, but I mean, you know, a UDFA coming off of an ACL, if Kyle Long gets hurt, you know, is that who's going to help you win a Super Bowl? Um, I do think that offensive line depth is um, a weakness on a team that, you know, everyone's saying Trubisky's the weakness. I'm saying the offensive line depth is. Yeah, Parks, and we can move on to the defensive side of the ball here. You know, the season they had last year was really incredible. Um, they still have Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman. They re-signed Aaron Lynch to a one-year deal, Parks. How do you feel about the defensive line to start? Right, and we will touch on the Fangio to Pagano thing. Um, I think the big difference is, and you know, everyone will say, look at Pagano's defense with the Colts. And I mean, like, add some context to that. Like, <laughs> you know, please. Uh, like, let's talk about their GM. Let's talk about he wasn't, the, you know, calling plays on defense at that point. He was the head coach. And let's go back to the fact that when he was with the Ravens and he had the personnel and he was calling the plays, um, you know, they were a Super Bowl winning defense. Or uh, that wasn't the year they won the Super Bowl, but it was one of their best seasons nonetheless. Um, when he was the defensive coordinator, you know, uh, Suggs and Lewis and Ed Reed and all them, you know, he coached there as well. And you go back to when he was calling plays for the Ravens defense. And, it, you know, it's so tough to judge him for that Colts defense because there was just nobody on it. Um, he was insanely aggressive 
Like, really, really aggressive with that Ravens defense. And I just keep thinking he's going to do the same thing with this Bears defense because he knows he has the talent to really, you know, throw it at you. And the thing with Vic Fangio, um, and I've talked about it on his thing, is that he is a guy that, let's just do the little things. You know, let's all just do our job. Let's keep it in front of us. Um, you know, what's it called? Ben, uh, ben But Don't Break Defense. Everything like that. And um, let's go back to, like I said, the Philadelphia Eagles said, all right, here, bend on this one. Bend on this one. Bend on this one. And, you know, they drove down the field and on fourth and two, you know, they attacked the slot cornerback and they got a touchdown to, you know, take the lead against the, the Bears in the fourth quarter. And, you know, as much as you want to blame the kicker, you could, bl- you could blame that too. You know, you're allowed to do that. Um, and I think that Pagano is going to say, okay, you know, we have all this talent in the world and when they all did their jobs the way that Fangio wanted them to, they were great, and I'm not like, you know, Fangio is a great defensive coordinator, and I think he's probably a better defensive coordinator than Pagano, but Pagano is going to take more risks, and is that potentially going to lead to, you know, issues, you know, busted coverages? Maybe, but I think it also potentially could lead to um, picks, sacks, everything like that, especially as we start to get back into the talent on this defense. You know, it's a, it's whether you want to say, Oh, regression happens every single time. And, you know, PFF says that, uh, you know, defense, you know, it's not predictive year to year. It's like, well, personnel is predictive year to year, like in some regards. And like, I can figure this thing out on my own sometimes that like, I still think like they're going to be more aggressive and yeah, they're not going to be one of the 10 best defenses of all time. And like I said, I'm pretty sure they're the best defense to never win a super or to not win a Super Bowl. you know, in terms of single season statistics, Okay, they're not going to be the best defense to never win a Super Bowl. They're still going to be the best defense in the NFL, in my opinion. I mean, probably for sure. So, um, let's get into Hakeem Hicks. Um, is really, you know, every year gets about eight sacks. I compare him and Cameron Hayward, you know, really favorably. Um, him, Cameron Hayward, Cameron Jordan um, are all similar. They're all in the same tier to me as like, you know, they're not Aaron Donald necessarily, but, you know, hey, you know, not everyone can have Aaron Donald. So you're completely fine with a guy like, you know, like I said, Hayward, Jordan, and Hicks are all, you know, that second tier of just great players, you know, eight sacks every single season, run defense every single season. And what I've talked about, and, you know, we're going to get with the edge rushers is um, him and Mac, you know, they signed Mac or they traded for Mac like a week before training camp or a week before the preseason ended. So he had no training camp and he had no preseason games. And he came in raw in week one and just ended Aaron Rodgers' season for the most part. Um, when him and Hicks have an, actually a full offseason to work together, and they play on the same side, um, at least for the most part. We'll see what Pagano does. But they typically both you know, take on, whether it be the right guard or the right tackle, those two are playing on the same side a lot. Um, it's I think it's you know they're going to just continually be deadly. I just can't see any reason to say that those two will not get better based on having a full offseason together. So Eddie Goldman is a nose tackle, um, defends the run, plugs gaps, um, can get upfield a little bit, and um, is really, of nose tackles, he plays like, I would say 20% more than every other nose tackle in the NFL because of his pass rushing ability. So that's where all of a sudden, um, and Brandon Williams on the Ravens, those are the two best nose tackles in the NFL for sure. Um, I'm probably missing somebody, but those two, because they can get upfield and penetrate against the um, pass, those are two really good players, but fascinating about this is Bilal Nichols um, drafted him in the fourth round from Delaware 
and he um, was a stud last season, was like really legitimately, you know, completed the 3-4 defense as, you know, Hicks, Goldman, and Blau Nichols, and he had like four sacks, was excellent in the nickel, um, playing next to Hicks, and those two, you know, getting upfield, and he's a high-end athlete from a small school, and you just keep thinking he's probably going to get better next season, so I mean, that's, you know, one, two, three, that's about as good as it gets in the NFL, Um you know, Jonathan Bullard, Nick Williams, Roy Robertson Harris is some decent depth. But um, besides that, that's about it for, you know, hey, you have those three great guys and, you know, you don't have the best depth. Roy Robertson Harris is some pretty good depth. But um, especially in terms of nickel, when you could go Akeem Hicks and Goldman, you got Nichols and Roy Robertson behind him. Um, you, you know, you can really get after the passer in that regard. Um, and that's just their interior. Yeah, Parks, and moving on to some of the linebackers here, edge guys. Uh, Khalil Mack, yeah, next year, Parks in 2020, his his number really jumps. So that'll be last year. You know, getting basically, they're getting half of his price for next year. This year, um, Leonard Floyd, they did exercise his fifth-year option. There were some questions about if they were going to do that or not. So his cap number jumps up next year for his fifth year. Um, do you want to start with those guys, and then we can work into Trevathan and Raycon? Yeah, I mean, especially because there's absolutely no depth behind them. But, I mean, Khalil Mack plays every single snap, you know, and it's, you know, it's funny because he held out for the Raiders and, um, you know, oh, selfish Khalil Mack holding out this and that. He got his contract and he plays every single snap. He's a team leader. First one on the field, last one off the field, everything like that. So, I mean, he's one of those guys, you know, you give your, give him the money and he kind of changes the, you know, the room altogether. So, um, I mean, I don't have to like sit here and tell you, oh, Khalil Mack is, is worth it, guys. Trust me. Um, and you know, the, like you said about the cap thing, um, and I've talked about there's like two or three players that I've already highlighted that are going to get cut, and they're going to consistently kick the can down the road with him. And one of these years, it's going to catch up to them in a big way. But um, they're hoping that they win a Super Bowl by then. So I mean, we'll see. But they're they're going to continue to massage his salary cap to make things work. Um, but nonetheless, like I said, I mean. He came in just completely raw, held out of training camp, um, knows none of these people, you know, just shows up. They said, you know, we don't even know what kind of shape he's in for week one. Uh, plays pretty much every single snap of week one, you know, takes Rodgers out of the game. Yeah, they lost the game, but, you know, they go into a 12-4 and season. And like I keep saying, you know, him and Hicks are going to be on the same side. I just don't see how that's not going to get better. Um, Leonard Floyd was supposed to, you know, carry this unit, you know, the top 10 pick and everything. And now he's the number two man. And um, last season, he broke his hand in the preseason. And if you know edge rushers, you can play with a broken hand. But hand violence is like an underrated thing for edge rushers. So and Vic Fangio liked to drop uh, Leonard Floyd into coverage a lot. But nonetheless, he didn't have a very productive season. Like you said, I mean, they're starting to look at Floyd and saying, um, I know he has, what, a, a PCL injury. Um, he has a shoulder injury and now he has, you know, a broken hand and he's never really, you know, he had seven sacks as a rookie and he's never lived up to it since then. Um, I keep going back to Khalil Mack came in raw and the dude had a broken hand and they were still the best defense. You know, like I said, historically good. Um, this guy, when Leonard Floyd comes back this season and he can kind of just be um, this, you know, athlete that he is and he's not, you know, taking the attention of the best tackles and he doesn't have to win with power because Max winning with power and he can just clean up sacks and he can use his hand, you know, for a full off season. Um, I'm not calling for, you know, Leonard Floyd to break out. I'm not calling for 10 sacks from Floyd, but I keep going back to, okay, yes, this defense is not going to be top 10 ever, 
But, like, why isn't it going to be the number one defense in the league? Like, why would it fall off that, you know, even the Jaguars, you know, didn't fall. Like, they fell off a little bit, but, like, there are, there are other reasons other than, well, regression to the mean. You know, you got to, like, there's got to be something applic applicable besides just, oh, they're going to regress. Like, for me to actually believe in that, like, oh, well, the computer says they're going to regress. Well, the computer said Alvin Kamara wasn't going to have a great season, and he did, you know. The computer said no one was going to be better than Patrick Mahomes, or no one was going to be better than Alex Smith, um, and then Patrick Mahomes showed up. You know, the computers, you know, the computers don't just tell you everything you need to know. So, um, I do. I think they're going to be fine. I think they have no depth at edge rusher, and it's a big issue, potentially, um, because, you know, without Floyd, or if Mac, go, if Mac goes down, there, you know, it's that's where all of a sudden, oh, well, they regressed. It's like, no, they didn't regress. Khalil Mack got injured. You know, if, if that's like a situation that happens nonetheless. Um, but yeah, Isaiah Irving, um, what's his name? I, I don't even remember the other guy, but Kylie Fitz. They don't have uh, Ed Rusher depth. Aaron Lynch, they signed Aaron Lynch because um, what's interesting to me about Aaron Lynch is Vic Fangio vowed for Aaron Lynch because he drafted him in uh, San Francisco, signed him in Chicago, and he didn't sign him in Denver. So, you know, I I mean, I'm sure Lynch, you know, has his reasons, maybe lived in Chicago, but he didn't come back for real money. And I would have assumed that Fangio would have had interest in him in Chicago, in Denver, and he didn't. So, I mean, just something small about, um, they, they have no depth behind Khalil Mack and Leonard Floyd. Yeah, Parks, looking at those guys on the inside, though, Roquan, I mean, you expect him to take another step. Danny Trevathan is in the last year of his deal, but he's getting decent money. Um, those two played pretty well together last year. How do you feel about this year? Right. I mean, another thing about this defense, Roquan Smith held out until uh, the second preseason game. So he didn't have a training camp, and he didn't start week one against the Packers. Nick Kwiatkowski did, and uh, it was bad. you know. But they, after week one, they said, okay, Roquan's coming in. And that's where I keep going back to. Like, this defense put it together on the fly with no training camp, no practice. For really stars of this defense, true stars, top 10 pick Roquan Smith, Khalil Mack, the best freaking player. You know, these guys, Leonard Floyd had a hand injury, you know, top 10 pick. You know, these guys were coming in on the fly, put it together, and they were the best freaking defense. You know, I keep thinking they're going to be fine next season. Um, Roquan is going to call plays. Um, he didn't call plays because, you know, he came in, he had no time to acclimate to calling plays. Um, and they had him call plays, I think it was like the first series of the first preseason game, and he, he got a sack, and they basically said, all right, let's put you in the bubble wrap until the regular season. So, um, you know, he's going to call plays, he's going to roam around, he's going to be better than he was last season, and last season he went over 100 tackles, and, you know, if it wasn't for Leighton Vander Esch, and if it wasn't for Darius Leonard, We'd be talking a lot about Roquan Smith, but those two just had, you know, unreal seasons. So um, I think Roquan Smith will enter that type of conversation this season. Trevathan was the play caller and was a great inside linebacker. And yeah, maybe they will save some cap space next year, like I said. But um, the fact that he's kind of in the space where now he doesn't have to call plays like he always has been. And he has no run and chase duties because Roquan is Mr. Run and Chase. Um, so, I mean, Trevathan's going to stay in the box, he's going to thump, and he's just going to be in the right spot. And, you know, when you have Max a star and Hicks is a star and Roquan's going to run around and make plays, to have a guy like Trevathan who's just going to do his job every single snap, it's extremely valuable. And those two are going to play well off of each other. Like I said, Nick Kwiatowski um, is slow. Um, he'll get exposed over the middle of the field if he's in the game too long. And that showed in his, really, his only starts in the NFL. Every time when he's on the field, teams attack him. Uh, Joel Iggy is what I call him. Um, he's a special teams guy. He's at least faster 
than Nick Kay. And Kevin Pierre-Louis, I think, is the actual number three linebacker um, because he's fast and can play special teams. So if Trevathan and Smith go down, I would bet on Pierre-Louis. But, um, yeah, they don't have depth. And, um, you know, they don't have depth in their line and they don't have depth in their pass rushers and they don't have depth in their D-line. Like, I can see how this that's regression, but I just can't predict injuries. So, like, it's hard for me to say that. Yeah, Burks, and um, we can move on here now to the secondary. Um, they ended up agreeing to terms with Buster Screen, formerly of the Jets, on a three-year deal. They took uh, Valdosta State cornerback Stephen Denmark at 238. Um, Parks, how do you feel about their cornerback group, you know, with Fuller and Prince Amukamura? Right, Kyle Fuller, you know, first-round pick, injuries, injuries, um, playing for my job, um, has a great season. Then all of a sudden he, you know, gets signs a contract and we say, oh man, you know, Fuller only had one good season. And they signed him to a contract. You know, how's he going to live up to it? Has the best season of his career by far. First team all pro, everything like that. I mean, I was a huge, huge Kyle Fuller fan coming out of college. Um, I think the Steelers would have took him uh, ahead of Ryan Shazier if, if he was on the board, but he was taken one pick before them. And uh, he, he's living up to it now, finally. So I think he's, you know, one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL plays really physical, has pretty good ball skills. And, you know, with Prince on the other side of him, um, it, you know, it's a, it's a great duo together. So they can, they play sides for the most part. Fuller doesn't really follow anybody. He usually plays on the left side. Prince will play on the right. I guess if you're facing the offense, that's which way they would play. But nonetheless, I mean, they're both, um, I think Fuller's a little bit shorter than Prince, but Prince is a little bit more of the fluid player, whereas Fuller is physical and, um, I, yeah, like I said, I just think Fuller's one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. So um, I'm completely fine with that. One spot where you could argue that they're going to regress in is in the slot with uh, moving from Bryce Callahan to Buster Screen. Um, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Buster Screen fan. He's had uh, concussion issues as well because a lot of people are like, oh, well, at least Buster Screen's healthy. It's like, yeah, Bryce Callahan broke his leg. Buster Screen is concussions. Like, just because you can't see concussions, that's still a thing. Um, but yeah, Buster Screen um, is going to step in. I think that eventually they're going to have Duke Shelley. Um, Duke Shelley, they drafted him in like the seventh round from Kansas State, and nobody knew who the heck he was because he had a great... Uh, it was like a sophomore or junior year, 2017. And then he hurt his leg in 2018. So nobody knew who he was. Fell to the seventh round. He's um, undersized. But he profiles extremely similarly to Bryce Callahan. And Ryan Pace found Bryce Callahan as a UDFA. And he thinks he has the same thing in Duke Shelley. And um, they're talking up Duke Shelley as if um, it's not going to take long for him to pass Buster Screen on the depth chart. Um, the thing with Screen is you could argue that he was pretty good in Cleveland. Um, when Cleveland didn't really have much. And then he went to the Jets, but the Jets have no pass rush whatsoever. So you could argue he was getting hung out to dry a little bit. And uh, obviously with this pass rush, he could be a little better. I just, I'm not buying into the narrative that, you know, he's better than Bus or uh, Bryce Callahan. I think that is a drop off. And I would bet on Duke Shelley by week four or five, stepping, stepping into that role. So nonetheless, they have a slot guy that they seem to like for the long term in Shelley. And Kevin Tolliver is the other, um, he's depth on the outside. So um, more than other positions, they have at least enough depth here. And I mean, like I keep saying, the talent is pretty good other than I do think they'll take a step back in the slot. Yeah, Parks, and around them out looking at the safety group here. Um, they signed HaHa Clinton-Dix from the Redskins to a one-year deal. They took, uh, like you said, Duke Shelley at 205 there, Parks. Um Still have Eddie Jackson back there. Parks, how do you feel about this safety group? 
Right, and this is another one. Eddie Jackson missed, what, the last four or five games of the NFL season and didn't play in the playoff game, although he was active throughout it, um, didn't take a single snap. So, again, let's go back to the Bears, who had a top 10 historical defense. Khalil Mack showed up right before week one. Leonard Floyd had a broken hand. Roquan Smith held out um, into the preseason. And uh, Eddie Jackson missed some time towards the end of the season. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I think that they could be just just fine next season. I think Eddie Jackson, um, you know, Eddie Jackson, the only issue, the reason he fell in the draft was because he came out of, into the draft with a broken leg. I mean, injuries has always been the only thing with him. He's a playmaker when he's healthy, and he can range free safety sideline to sideline, and he can play combination, and he can jump routes. He's extremely smart, has that Alabama pedigree. So um, that's where I go back to with this, um, with Chuck Pagano playing blitzing more than Fangio. Okay, I think Fangio's a better coach, but I think Pagano adding that aggression, you know, okay, maybe it leaves Kyle Fuller out to dry. You know, Kyle Fuller on an island, you know, playing physical, you know, hey, that's not the worst. Oh, well, Eddie Jackson better, well, Eddie Jackson's a Pro Bowl, you know, probably the best free safety. Um, you know, these are the guys that you're, you know, quote-unquote leaving out to dry when you're pressuring like that, or, you know, Roquan Smith, you're leaving him out to dry. Well, He's the he's the most athletic uh, you know linebacker. You know? So the guys that you're leaving out to dry in one on one are the best players that you could possibly want in you know in these situations. So um, Ed, I mean Eddie Jackson's gonna you know take gambles, but he also doesn't give up big plays. That's kind of what you're looking for, and that's what makes the Bears defense um, good. Obviously, they lost Adrian Amos, um, and that's, this is another one that I do agree. I think it's going to be a slight drop off um, because. Everyone points at Adrian Amos and, oh, he doesn't um, have statistics. He doesn't have, you know, big-time plays. Eddie Jackson's the playmaker. I mean, I agree. If you're going to pay one of those two, you pay Eddie Jackson. You don't pay Adrian Amos. Um, and I agree that if you're going to give $40 million to Adrian Amos or you give $3 million to HaHa ha Clinton Dix, okay, I could give a you know, HaHa ha Clinton Dix. Let's, let's just stop with the HaHa ha Clinton Dix is better than Adrian Amos stuff. Like We don't need to talk, you know, we don't need to pretend that that's the situation. One player at, you know, $6 million more, you know, now we're having a conversation. So, um, Adrian Amos, you know, didn't miss tackles, was always in the right assignment. He let Eddie Jackson freelance because Jackson knew that he was going to be in the right spot. Clinton Dix misses tackles, misses assignments, you know, goes for the big play. Okay, he does stuff the stat sheet a little more than Amos. I think Amos is better than HaHa Clinton Dix, and I think money shows that Amos is better than HaHa Clinton Dix. So, nonetheless, what makes you interested in Clinton Dix is that um, he recruited Eddie Jackson to Alabama. Um, his last year, Clinton Dix, was Eddie Jackson's freshman year. And uh, when Eddie Jackson went to visit Bama, Clinton Dix stayed, or he stayed with Clinton Dix. And then Clinton Dix, or then Jackson flew in, haha, to Chicago to recruit him this year. Um, and it was Mitch, Eddie, and Clinton Dix spent the night together. And Mitch and Jackson convinced Clinton Dix to sign with the Bears. So at least they have that familiarity with each other, you know, in the in the back end. But um, that is another one where potentially, you know, I really think that that what that would do is it would if if Clinton Dix is more of that, you know, he's out of place a little bit more. I think that that would put Jackson in a spot where. He doesn't take as many risks, so maybe they don't have as many turnovers, but I still, you know, I still think it's a great defense, and I still, you know, it's hard to say, oh, they went from Bryce Callahan to Buster Screen, and from Clinton Dix to uh, Amos, and, you know, because of that and because of my computer, you know, they're going to be the 10th best defense, and, you know, Mitch Trubisky's going to screw them over. It's like hard to, 
that's like I see that narrative all the time. It's just hard for me to piece that one together consistently because um, they're a good team altogether. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, how they put it all together. But I think they're, you know, they're going to be a fine team. Dion Bush is another one who he gets better every single year, and I think that. Um, another thing was Fangio was another one of those guys who will play bass until he can't play bass anymore. And I think Pagano is going to mix in a third safety and that could be Bush. So Pagano is going to be different for sure. Um, I think it's going to be, like I said, more sacks, more picks. Maybe they do give up a few more yards in the process, but you know, you might want to, you know, you might take the extra, you know, field flipping plays for the offense for, you know, a few more burnt plays. So we'll see. Yeah, Parks, my last question for you here is, would you play over or under nine wins? Um, it's a little bit shaded towards the under, or like we talked about with the Vikings, you can get Vikings, Bears, and Packers all at about two to one to win the division. Right. This one, I mean, last year we went over six and a half on the Bears, and that was like the easiest call. You know, it's, it's a lot tougher when it's higher, and it goes back to my thing is injuries. Um, this team has no depth. I mean, in in like most spots, they just don't have, you know, linebacker, edge, defensive line, offensive line. There's no depth. And that's what you, you know, hey, this roster, there are no battles for starting spots. Everyone, like all 22 starters are named, except for the kicker. All 22 starters are named. And like, it's all supposed to be, let's take a step forward on offense. Like I said, on defense, let's finish what we started on defense. You know, now that we have all these players kind of with the time together and with the, you know, the mixing and matching and everything. So because, you know, once one or two players start to go down, I could see this thing fall. You know, that's where you can't go over. If I were to do anything, it would be the Bears to win the NFC North, but I still haven't committed to that yet. So, um, Follow me on Twitter and follow, you know, the Bear Goggles on for, you know, insight. And then ask me, you know, right before the season, I'll probably have a decision between the Bears, Packers, and Vikings. But um, I haven't made it yet. And like I said on the Vikings one, if you like the Bears, I would the, the odds of them to win the division are better than them winning over nine games. So I would just bet them to win the, the division. Yeah, Parks, I'm with you on that. And um, that'll do it for the Bears. We'll move on to... The Packers and Lions are out the NFC North next time, so we'll catch you guys then.